InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Sunscreen is a part of summer. And while sunscreens do prevent sunburn, surprisingly little is known about the safety and effectiveness of these creams and other products you slather, spray, and squirt on your skin. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here to find out what you need to know. Roy? Thanks, Chris. The Environmental Working Group recently issued its annual guide to sunscreen products, and we're joined by one of the report's co-authors, Sonia Lunder, who is a senior analyst at Environmental Working Group. Sonia, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you. So there are some surprising things in your report. You took a look at more than 600 beach and sport sunscreens, and only one in five made your cut? Yes, it's true, and it's similar to what we found in our four previous sunscreen guides. We have a lot of problems with the way sunscreens are made and marketed in the United States currently. You're particularly concerned about sunscreen sprays. Tell us about that. Well, sunscreen sprays, as most people know, don't always get exactly where you want them. If you've ever sat at the pool or at the beach in a windy day, you can breathe in a lot of sunscreen spray from someone next to you. We see people spraying them on their kid's face, and we think these pose an unnecessary concern for inhalation, as well as you know, just that question about whether you're getting enough on all the parts of your body that you need them. One of the reasons your report is so interesting is because it has a lot of statements that go against conventional wisdom. I'm going to just read a few of these and let you just expand on them. The first one is, there's no consensus on whether sunscreens prevent skin cancer. Yeah, that may be a surprise for a lot of people to learn, but actually in our report we reference statements by the International Agency for Research on Cancer or the Centers for Disease Control and even an FDA themselves. So it isn't just the conclusion of Environmental Working Group, but we're pulling together some of the statements from federal agencies and even international agencies about the actual protection offered by sunscreen. We know sunscreen will prevent you from sunburn, and that's what it was really designed to do. But there are other types of sun damage that sunscreen isn't as effective at blocking, and I think people really don't understand that. Here's another statement from your report that caught my eye. There's some evidence that sunscreens might increase the risk of the deadliest form of skin cancer for some people. Yes, and that's melanoma, and that is because by not burning, you would actually stay out in the sun longer than you might if you weren't wearing sunscreen at all. If you get a sunburn, you know you blew it and are more likely to cover up or go inside. But if you're not getting a sunburn and you're spending time outside gardening or um, you know on the beach, you need to have a sunscreen that is blocking more forms of UV radiation, including these less powerful UVA rays. I think most people think the higher the number, the better, but you also say there are more high SPF products than ever before, but no proof that they're better. Yes. The FDA in 2007 made a draft rule on sunscreens. People will be surprised to know there isn't actually a final rule on sunscreens, and that's one of the reasons we see so many problems with the way today's formulations are being sold and marketed. And FDA has found the SPF values above 50 are, in their words, inherently misleading because there's no proof that they actually provide that much greater protection. And in our interpretation, there's no proof that people actually need them. If you're applying sunscreen properly, there may not be enough hours of UV in a day that would necessitate an SPF value above 50. And also, SPF values that high are less likely to have balanced or broad-spectrum protection. As I mentioned, you need your sunscreen to block UVA rays, and those making sunscreens that do that well is difficult, and the UVA protection factor, equivalent to about, you know, to an SPF 
but evaluating your protection from UVA rays really maxes out about 20 for U.S. sunscreens right now. So you should be buying and using sunscreens as if they're SPF 50, even when they have a higher number on them. That means applying a lot and reapplying them frequently. But because you put on an SPF 100, people wrongly assume that they're completely protected from all types of sun damage and that they are protected for a long time. Really, you need to be putting it on every two hours or after you're swimming and toweling off, sweating. And many studies show that people never apply enough sunscreen. They don't reapply it frequently. And these dangers are more serious when they're using high SPF products. Our guest on InfoTrack is Sonia Lunder, who is a senior analyst at the Environmental Working Group, which recently issued its annual guide of sunscreen products. Sonia, the next item on your list of interesting statements in your report, many sunscreens contain nanomaterials or potential hormone disruptors. Why should people be concerned about those? Well, yeah, between those two categories of concern, you've included almost every sunscreen on the market today. <laughs> Zinc and titanium-based sunscreens commonly use micronized or nanoparticles. This is because, you know, a zinc, what people call conventionally sized, is more like a diaper cream. It would turn your skin white or those old zinc sunscreens that lifeguards used to wear that covered your nose and made it completely white. In an effort to make those sunscreens less tinting to the skin and also to increase, in some cases, the UV blocking capabilities, manufacturers use very tiny particles. And these particles are sometimes in the nanometer range, which is incredibly small. And things that are that small there have been concerns that they are more reactive to UV light and may generate free radicals on the skin or that they may penetrate the skin. Now, in this case, EWG has examined all the scientific studies about skin penetration and UV reactivity and feel like these are actually some of the safest products that are on the market now. And given the few choices for sunscreen manufacturers in the United States, these really come out on top. Now, it's a different situation with hormone disruptors. So the other type of sunscreens, which are more popular and more dominant in the U.S. market, are called chemical sunscreens, and these mostly contain an ingredient called oxybenzone, which is one of the types of chemical sunscreen ingredients. But this is really shown to penetrate the skin and to have hormone-like effects on the human body and in laboratory studies. This chemical is measured in urine samples from almost everybody in the United States. We we are concerned that this ingredient isn't so good for health, and we actually recommend people avoid it. Sonia, there are some other interesting statements in your report, but the last one we can touch on now is European consumers have better choices in sunscreens than American consumers. Tell us about that. In Europe, they require that there is an equivalent ratio of UVA and UVB protection in a sunscreen, which is absolutely not required in the U.S., and as a result, they have better products. We did a computer-based analysis of more than a 1,000 U.S. sunscreens, and we found that three in five of them wouldn't be acceptable in Europe. This is very confusing for consumers and a huge problem with sunscreens. We see a very common use of the term broad-spectrum protection. So until the FDA finalizes the sunscreen rule, they've been working on it for more than 30 years, there will be no standards for UVA protection, and there'll be some real false claims there on U.S. product labels. And until the FDA finalizes a rule, U.S. options are going to be much poorer. Sonia, give us some shopping tips when people are reading labels and shopping for sunscreen this summer. Well, we recommend that you use our sunscreen guide. It's available at ewg.org, and we've read and analyzed the ingredient labels for 1,700 products. 
And this is sunscreens that you'd wear out into the beach or on a bright sunny day. Daily moisturizers that advertise sun protection, lip products, and makeups that advertise SPF. So this is the first place to start. But otherwise, we recommend that people avoid really high SPFs above 50 plus because they're not as balanced in terms of protection and because they mislead you into a false sense of security. We recommend people not use sunscreen as the first line of defense. A hat and clothing and sunglasses are going to be far more protective and effective for preventing excessive sun exposure. When you need to wear sunscreen, choose one off our recommended list. These tend to be zinc and titanium containing sunscreens, but we do highlight some good ones that are not including zinc and titanium for people who'd prefer to avoid either nanoparticles or who find them a little heavy and and difficult to use. And enjoy your summer. Sonia Lunder from Environmental Working Group, which recently issued its annual guide for sunscreen products. Sonia, you mentioned the web address. Give it to us one more time. It's ewg.org, and it's for the Environmental Working Group. You'll see sunscreen linked from our homepage. Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.